The following broadcast is released under a Creative Commons license. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. I believe He lived and died, and that He rose again. I believe and trust in Him. Ascended into hell, Christ our living head will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe and trust in Him. I will trust in my Redeemer, sing of His love. That lasts forever Know His hope And sure salvation I will trust in Him Oh, the world falls around me I rest and know That He has found me Christ, the rock, is my Welcome all to Pastor Yeshua. You've been listening to Creed by Richard Jensen from his album Order of Service. By way of introduction, Pastor is an acrostic which stands for Preaching All Salvation Through One Redeemer. Our Redeemer, Yeshua, Jesus, is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Jesus. The English spelling for Jesus is Jesus. This program deals with apologetics, questions on and about God, the Bible, and the Christian faith. I take questions and seek by scripture to give answers and encouragement for everyone, including the tough-minded living in today's skeptical society. And now, let's join Pastor Yeshua. Welcome to Pastor Yeshua. As was stated in an earlier episode, when we study all of Scripture, we tend to see that indeed God seems to create all things according to a pattern which testifies of Him. As we continue to look and study the visible and invisible things of creation, we are able to increasingly see God's reflection to some degree in that mirror. When these examples occur within Scripture, we characteristically refer to them as types or shadows. We shall also see that ultimately, as with all scripture, that these types and shadows point to the substance, which is Jesus. In this episode, we continue our study of types and shadows with none other than the classic episode of Noah's Ark. This incident, set after only eight generations from creation, remains the greatest report of disaster on record. Lest we write off this tragedy as an ancient record from the past, Let us recall that Scripture remembers this event and warns us today of a parallel judgment yet to come. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your Spirit would prepare our hearts and minds to hear and receive what your Word says to us. I pray that like Noah, we each would have courage by faith to separate ourselves from the world which is in rebellion 
and be reconciled to you. I pray that your word mixed with faith would give us the confidence to prepare ourselves for your imminent return, as well as to be messengers of your gospel to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. As stated, it only took eight generations from Adam, the first man, until Noah, the eighth man, for the world to degenerate to the point God was grieved he had created man on earth. Less than 1,000 years earlier, Adam and Eve enjoyed face-to-face fellowship with God in the garden as his image-bearers, clothed with God's glory in a world which God had proclaimed as, quote, very good, unquote. Within this relatively short period of time, Scripture records the following in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, quote, The wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, unquote. Now, it must be said that since the fall, the scriptural definition of sin, i.e. falling short of God's glory, has been present with all men save Jesus. But here, in this instance, chapter 6, verse 5, records a condition which a casual reading may not readily do justice. A more literal study of this verse could be paraphrased as follows, quote, And God saw that men had become continuously malignant and evil like animals. Every purpose, imagination, and meditation of man's innermost being was nothing but evil at all times, unquote. Later verses record the earth as being corrupt, which translates as being ruined or perverted morally. This situation begins the unfolding of events which is one of the richest and most beautiful types of God's plan for salvation. The type is simple. Now as then, on the majority of the earth, man's every thought and deed is that of depravity and rebellion. Then, as now, we have an elect few chosen of God who find, as Noah did, grace in the eyes of God. God has appointed a date and a time known only to him when he will pour out his divine wrath, just as he did in Genesis, against all those who are in rebellion. Mankind has the warning and the choice to either continue his sinful rebellion or choose God's gift of grace, as Noah did. Then as now, there is but one way to escape God's coming flood of wrath. God gives us, as he did Noah, the commandment and warning to enter into the ark. The question is, how do we enter? As this episode about the Ark airs, there is coincidentally a movie just in release regarding the same subject matter. In researching the reviews for the movie, I noted an interesting quote from the movie's director who stated that when he first read the story of the Ark, he was scared because he didn't know if he was quote-unquote good enough to get on the boat. Perhaps there are others who feel likewise even today, but he and others who assume this train of thinking miss the point entirely. Entry onto the ark was not predicated on being quote-unquote good. If it had been, then according to Romans chapter 3, verse 23, no one would have entrance, because all have sinned and fallen short, and there is none that doeth good, no, not one. The good news is that then, as now, we enter as we are, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, and have his righteousness, i.e. goodness, imputed to us, as did Noah, by trusting God. This is the moral of the story. The ark is the type of Christ, and only those who enter into this ark, which is a relationship held by faith, are saved. Those who choose or refuse to enter will ultimately be destroyed by his wrath to come. Noah did not conceive or plan the way of salvation, 
How could he? Noah had never seen a flood, and the scope of the devastation and destruction which was to come may have been inconceivable. Though Noah had never seen rain, he labored day after day with his family, building the ark, preaching repentance while the world scoffed. Just as it was Noah's commission, it is our commission as Christ's followers to preach, teach, and demonstrate God's grace by word and by deed. Our very presence on earth should serve to be salt and light to a world headed soon to death and destruction. Christ's righteousness stands as a beacon shining through his saints by his indwelling Holy Spirit to encourage fellow believers while condemning those in unbelief. At the outset of the story, God tells Noah to build rooms within the ark. The ark and its many rooms within are a reminder of John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, which says, quote, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also, unquote. It is interesting to note that the word rooms translates as nest and is used as such in many other verses. This concept is reminiscent of the protective relationship of a fledgling bird in its nest to its parent. Here are a few of those verses which serve to remind us of God's love and protection. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verses 9 through 11 quote, For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land and in the waste howling wilderness. He led him about, he instructed him, he kept him as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her wings. Unquote. Psalm chapter 17, verse 8 quote, Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings, unquote. Psalm chapter 36, verse 7, quote, How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God! Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings, unquote. Psalm chapter 57, verse 1, quote, Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. Unquote. Psalm chapter 61, verse 4. Quote, I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings. Salah. Unquote. Psalm chapter 63, verse 7. Quote, because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. Unquote. Psalm chapter 91 verse 4 quote, He shall cover thee with his feathers and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Unquote. Luke chapter 12 verse 24 quote, Consider the ravens for they neither sow nor reap which neither have storehouse nor barn and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? Unquote. And finally, Luke chapter 13, verse 34, quote, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killeth the prophets and stoneth them that are sent unto thee, how often would I gather thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not, unquote. 
Now, as we look at our story, we learn that no matter what the circumstances are, whether that of a worldwide flood, the day-to-day trials, troubles, and refining fires of life on earth, or the ultimate judgment of wrath of God on an unbelieving earth by fire, God is reminding all to come and abide by faith in Christ, i.e. a better ark, wherein is the divine promise of immovable safety, provision, and love until we reach our heavenly home. Returning to our story, as the next of God's instructions come, Noah is told to pitch the ark within and without with pitch. It should be noted that the name Noah means rest. So quite literally, the message is that we, like Noah, are to rest in Christ. Second, perhaps most profound of all, is the word pitch. The word pitch is translated from the same Hebrew word translated elsewhere as the mercy seat or covering. The mercy seat, of course, is the same item designed and built as the lid or covering for the Ark of the Covenant found in the Holy of Holies. As a reminder, the Ark of the Covenant contained the tablets of stone on which was written the law, i.e. God's Ten Commandments, the pot of manna, and Aaron's rod that budded. It was upon the mercy seat that the high priest would sprinkle the blood of animals once a year on the Day of Atonement for the sins of the people. Thus, the mercy seat, like the ark with its pitch, stands as a barrier or covering between a holy God and sinful man. Whether we consider the ark of Noah or the ark of the covenant, we see the type of Christ our Lord. Those who are called, as Noah was, are placed by faith inside the ark. Inside the ark, the believer rests, as Noah did, covered by grace, just as the ark was covered by pitch, the type of foreshadowing grace. Once inside the ark, the occupants of the ark, i.e. believers, are separated by the ark and the pitch, i.e. grace, from the water, i.e. God's wrath, poured out on sin. Next, notice the order in which the ark is to be pitched. First, the ark is to be pitched within, then without. Like the pitch, faith and the resulting grace which flows from Christ's righteousness and shed blood springs forth within the heart of the believer through the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. As the work of the Holy Spirit continues within the believer, they are transformed by the renewing of their minds and are conformed into the image of our Lord from faith to faith by the process of sanctification. While the Spirit of our Lord, Jesus Christ, dwells within us, His Spirit, power, and grace are made manifest without for all to see. The fruit which others see is not by our power, nor by our righteousness. It is there by His grace and an indwelling power just as the pitch, i.e. grace, was placed on both the inward and outward side of the ark by Noah's faith. So the process begins on the inside with grace, i.e. pitch, and ends outwardly by grace for all to see by faith alone, by grace alone, by Christ alone. As we look at the ark, God's design for the ark is instructive. Genesis chapter 6, verse 15 and 16 illuminate further, And this is the fashion which thou shalt make of it. The length of the ark shall be three hundred cubits, the breadth of it fifty cubits, and the height of it thirty cubits. A window shalt thou make in the ark, and a cubit shalt thou finish it above, 
and the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof, with the lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make it." Unquote. First of all, the length of the ark is designed to be 300 cubits long. The number 300 is associated with complete deliverance as is found in Judges chapter 7, verse 7. Quote, and the Lord said unto Gideon, By the 300 men that lapped will I save you, and deliver the Midianites into thy hand, and let all the other people go every man into his place. Unquote. Second, the number 50 represents the number of jubilee, or deliverance, as is described in detail in Leviticus chapter 25, verses 8 through 10. Quote, and thou shalt number seven Sabbaths of years unto thee, seven times seven years, and the space of the seven Sabbaths of years shalt thou be unto thee forty and nine years. Then shalt thou cause the trumpet of the jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. In the day of atonement shalt thou make the trumpet sound throughout all your land. And ye shall hollow the fiftieth year, and proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. It shall be a jubilee unto you, and ye shall return every man unto his possession, and ye shall return every man unto his family." Unquote. Additionally, the number 50 points to Pentecost, to the pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon the church. Pentecost begins with the Feast of First Fruits, which occurs during the barley harvest season on the day after the Sabbath. The Feast of First Fruits is initiated with the Wave Sheaf Offering Day, found in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 9 through 11, and then culminates 50 days later with Pentecost. In this type, the wave-sheaf offering is the type of the substance, Jesus, who offers himself as the gift for the full harvest which is yet to come. Fifty days later, Pentecost has come at which time the Holy Spirit is poured out and the full harvest of God's church has begun. Pentecost falls on the eighth day of the seventh week and is the first day of the eighth week. The number eight, i.e. the number of souls in the ark, is associated with new beginnings, new birth, and is the type of all those souls who are delivered through salvation of Jesus Christ, who is the ark. Thirdly, the number 30 denotes perfection, redemption, and divine order. According to Numbers chapter 4, verse 3, a priest could not enter into service in the tabernacle of the congregation until he was 30 years old. Jesus himself did not begin his ministry until he was 30 years old. Next, the ark was constructed with one window, which was one cubit above. Therefore, all light received inside the ark comes from above. All light, all truth comes from God above, and there is no other source of light or truth. John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 state, quote, In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not." Unquote. Lastly, the ark contains only one door by which there is entrance into the ark, just as Jesus tells all he is the only door by which there is access to salvation in John chapter 10, verses 7 through 9. Quote, then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep, all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. 
I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture, unquote. Although the dimensions of the door to the ark are nowhere given, I would submit by comparison to the dimensions of the ark itself that the door was small. The ark itself would seem small, and the door to the ark smaller still when we consider that the ark was the only hope existent to the entire earth and its inhabitants which was soon to be destroyed. The type of the ark's door mirrors the substance found in John chapter 14, verse 6, which says, quote, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14 say, quote, Enter ye at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be that go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it, unquote. It is also interesting to note that the door to the ark is placed in the ark's side. This reminds us of the substance of the ark Christ, who was pierced in his side, as is recorded in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, quote, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn, unquote. In our story, there is but one ark which speaks of the unity of God. The ark consists of three levels or stories, i.e. an upper, a middle, and a lower level. The design of the ark directly corresponds to the substance of God's attributes which he has revealed. Throughout scripture, God's interaction with his creation reveal the fact or salvation is accomplished by the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Though all three aspects are frequently revealed, yet paradoxically they remain one, as does the ark in our story. Eventually, the flood is sent by God. The water is symbolically twofold. First, the water serves as God's mechanism of wrath poured out upon an unrepentant world. The water is sent to forever drown and bury those who, by every thought, word, and deed, are in rebellion to God and his way of life. Second, the water provides cleansing purification for that which is corrupt and filthy, as well as an eventual nourishment for growth of new life. Thus, the flood episode is the first type and shadow of baptism upon the entire world it was. Sin, which took its first root in the garden, had by Noah's day choked the earth as a virulent weed. As a result of the flood, Eight human souls were saved by the ark, symbolic of grace, by faith in Christ. The fact that eight souls emerge from the deluge and are delivered to a new world is symbolic of the new birth. The number eight is always used by God to demonstrate new beginnings. As it was for Noah and his family, so it is with every believer who enters and abides within Christ. The old life, the old nature is left behind, dead, drowned in wrath which was poured out on sin. That sin lies buried with Christ in his crucifixion, death, and burial. 
Our assurance of salvation is given life and power even as Jesus was resurrected and has ascended to the throne room of God the Father, where by his grace we may now boldly enter God's presence and find reconciliation and peace. As we ponder the story of these eight souls, eight would seem tiny compared to what must have then been thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, or more people who stood condemned by their own sinful rebellion. However tragic this fact seems, it pales to the scenario which now confronts us. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus warned, saying, quote, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came, and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be." Unquote. Here we are today, 5,000 years later. In this day, just as then, mankind is drawn to every kind of self-interest, every kind of self-indulgence, impurity, and indecency imaginable. Man or child alike has but to push a button or click a mouse, and virtually any desire is there to see or to hear before our eyes and ears. Much of humanity would presently, if not proudly, proclaim as the proverbial fool, there is no God. Others prefer to hold themselves to a spiritually blind aspirations of such intellectually vacuous philosophies as humanism, multiculturalism, and political correctness. Whatever the religion, whatever the belief, philosophy, or pursuit, Jesus says now, as he said then in John chapter 14, verse 6, quote, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me, unquote. The good news now, as then, is that in the midst of a world where mankind is bent on rebellion and evil, God is still holding out the offer of repentance. God is searching the hearts and minds of mankind looking for righteousness by faith. To those in whom God finds faith, he is saying to those elect, as he did Noah and his family in Genesis chapter 6, verse 18, quote, But with thee I will establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee, unquote. The truth is, in spite of any imagined goodness, righteousness, good deeds, or good works which any person imagines they have done, Justice dictates we all deserve to be swallowed up whole by the flood of God's wrath. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12 say it this way, quote, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way, they are together become unprofitable, there is none that doeth good, no, not one, unquote. What we learn from this is that there is none, however noble and valiant the effort, who has worked or forced their way into the ark, which is Christ. Entrance is, and always will be, as chapter 7 indicates, by invitation only. 
just as verse 1 says Noah and his house were invited by God, saying, quote-unquote, come, so the invitation comes by virtue of God's sovereign mercy to those who respond by faith to enter into his rest from their works to the covering and salvation which comes by and through the shed blood and imputed righteousness of Jesus. Once inside the ark, verse 16 reveals that it was not Noah, nor his family, nor any man, or any mechanism, but God himself, who closed the door to the ark and shut Noah and his family inside. This seemingly small entry tells us several important things. 1. Once the believer has truly entered into the covering grace of Jesus, God shuts the door behind the believer who rests eternally secure. Proof of this is found in the amazing fact that despite Noah and his family and the various animals who spent a year inside the ark under the most difficult circumstances imaginable, not one living thing was lost. All who entered the ark were spared the devastation of God's judgment and arrived at their destination. Just so, all who presently enter by faith into the covering grace of Jesus Christ are promised salvation as well as the present comfort and hope of a heavenly home which surely awaits us. 2. God is merciful to offer repentance to an evil and rebellious world. God is not willing that any would perish. God waited 969 years until Methuselah, the world's oldest living man, died until he ordered Noah and his family into the ark. During this time, anyone who wished to had but to repent to God, and they too could have joined Noah inside the ark and been saved. With this in mind, we too need to remember that God has appointed a day and an hour when he himself will shut the door to salvation as he did the ark, and there will be time no more. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, give the warning accordingly. Quote, but what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is that the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Unquote. After Noah and his family are safely inside the ark with the door closed by God's own hand, God sends his judgment and wrath by way of the flood to cover the earth. All flesh, every human and animal in whom was found the breath of life is destroyed by the waters. The old world and all those who were captive to the sins of the flesh were destroyed by the flood of waters, while those who, by obedience, enter into Jesus Christ, i.e. the ark, were saved according to God's saving grace by faith. Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, reveals Noah and his family represent the type of those believers who have by faith in Christ's finished work put off the flesh and the carnal nature when he says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 20 through 22, quote, When once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing wherein a few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. 
the like figure wherein to even baptism does also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him, unquote. In the story of the ark, scripture records that the rain and the flood, which was the wrath of God, prevailed forty days. The number 40 is always associated with God's testing and judgment. After the waters abated, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat, which means holy ground, on the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month. Just to show there are no accidents with God, God is careful to place the ark, i.e. the type of Christ, at rest on the same day which later became known as Passover, and the Passover lamb was slain. Ultimately, 2,000 years later, Jesus Christ, who was the substance of the ark, offered himself a sacrifice for our sins on the same day and on the same month as the ark landed, only on another mount named Calvary. On this day, Jesus died on the cross with his final words, Quote, it is finished, unquote. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven where he sat down, i.e. the position of rest, at the right hand of the Father. Now, as a side note to the landing of the ark and the opening of the door, it is possible that the landing and reopening of the ark's door to the new world is representative of heaven and finds its eschatological correlation in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, which says, quote, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show you things which must be hereafter, unquote. Thus the substance and the conclusion to the type of Noah's Ark, along with the fullness of Scripture, clearly warn a rebellious and sinful world that, like the first, there is another wrath of God coming upon the earth. Today, like in Noah's time, we have the warning to repent. We have the call to all by Jesus himself, saying in John chapter 14, verse 6, Quote, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Unquote. Again, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says, quote, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Unquote. In John chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus says, quote, I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture, unquote. Now, like then, we each have a choice. Unlike those of Noah's time, we have the example of the flood by which we are warned. Take heed, because like the ark of Noah's time, the time will come when God will close the door and the ark is shut. Presently, there is time, and God is calling today as he was then, for as many as would, by his grace, enter into the ark, i.e. Jesus, wherein there is forgiveness, peace, and safety forevermore. All we need do is, like Noah did, act by faith. 
The gravity of such should cause us, like the keeper of the prison in Acts chapter 16, verse 29, to come trembling and fall down, where we ask the question, quote, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Unquote. The answer, quote, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Unquote. Father, we pray that by your grace we each would heed the words of your warning. We pray we would respond to your call to come, and that by faith we would each would enter into the substance of the ark, Jesus. We thank you that we have your promise and assurance that once inside we remain secure against any and all things which would seek to destroy or remove us. We thank you that you are faithful to deliver those who abide in Jesus, the ark, to a new and better home, heaven, where we shall live eternally in your presence with joy and thanksgiving forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you have any questions about God, the Bible, or the Christian faith, I encourage and invite you to send me an email at pastor underscore Yeshua at yahoo.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R underscore Y-E-S-H-U-A at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. Trust in.